Welcome to Clearing the Queue with Alex and Matt. Here's how it works. Each episode starts with a friend of ours signing into their Netflix account. Together, we scroll through their queue. Ultimately, we find a movie that's been on there a little too long, and we watch it together. The best part is that every queue is unique, so it tells a story about the person. Here's a question. Are we going to record ourselves talking about the movie during the movie? No, 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 no. This is not Mystery Science Theater 3000. It's uh, Clearing the Queue. A Netflix podcast. <laughs> Live via satellite. We have Doug Warner. It's more like... Hello, friends. It, maybe it's more like... Can on a string, it satellite. You know, not to go on a tangent already, but Alex and I shared a backyard growing up, and we once actually had cans, or they were little paper cups, <laughs> on strings across our backyard yeah. so that we could talk to each other from our bedrooms. Analog was the way to go. And uh, Kara's friend Nicole tore it down. <laughs> we never built it up again. But we've recreated that setup in the future. We have. So uh, we have a very special episode today because first time ever... We have a guest via Skype. What up, everybody? Douglas P. Warner. Doug, we didn't we didn't ask um, how you wanted to be identified professionally on this. Like sometimes we say, <laughs> our friend Izzy, who invented Guitar Hero. Um, I would say our friend Doug, the King of Kings. King of Kings is strong. That's strong. <laughs> Although I think that title's been given to someone else of importance in the past. Oh, <laughs> was it Jesus? What about- you guys don't know much about him, but he's an important <laughs> Very historical Very little. <laughs> what about Renaissance Man? How about Renaissance Man? I like it. I like it. It suggests that I know a little, a lot about, you know, multiple things, which uh, I try to dabble in, in a bunch of areas, you know? Right. Well, we're gonna we're gonna talk about one of those specific areas, which is movies. Movies. And before we get into it, can you tell us about your DVD collection? My DVD collection is one of mythical levels, uh, and I am one of the last fools to invest all of his money (laughs) at the high school level into uh, into movies, uh, which now sit in a box or actually many boxes in my basement collecting dust. But yes, I am a, a big fan of movies. Always have been, and I'm a huge collector too. So it was the perfect uh, mixing of mixing worlds, mixing of passions, and uh, you converted all of them to digital media. So you sort of acquitted yourself a little bit of the cost. Yeah, that was my goal. Uh, I foresaw the digital revolution and uh, wanted to recoup some <laughs> what year of my was that? investment. What year did you foresee the digital revolution? Um, when I was living with Mr. Scott Barker, our friend Scott Barker, which was probably like six years ago now. So I was ahead of the curve when it comes to You usually are. You're an early adopter. Do you know what churning is? The term churning? Like butter? <laughs> uh, it. That's not what I'm, I'm referring to. It's a, it's a term <laughs> that is described to people that like to uh, use like credit card rewards points to their advantage. Like they find loopholes and, and there are people that dedicate their lives to this. It's called churning. There's a subreddit called where they <laughs> trade these things. You are an early churner in the DVD game when it comes to uh, finding value and price matching for DVDs. Half the fun of my DVD collecting was finding the greatest bargain for said DVDs. And I will say for the hundreds of DVDs and the wasted investment, I spent as little as humanly possible on uh, on that uh, collection of DVDs. So I can appreciate uh, that's that. small, small. You had a couple diamonds in the rough, though. What were your favorite conquests, though? Because I remember... 
in high school, you were particularly like thrilled about a couple Criterion collection. Generally, any any joy came from the Criterion collection, which was the that was the creme de la creme of the DVD collecting world. All the great extra scenes, all that stuff. And I would find them and do price matching schemes and <laughs> drives to Danvers and like strange places so that I could uh, get them for, you know, 14 bucks, whatever the, uh, you know, going rate was for DVDs at the time. Churning, so I yeah. had some conquests. Churning is the Olympic level term for people that do this. But, you know, so there's a slight bit of churning in all of us. You're an am- amateur. <laughs> well, listen, I'm, I'm a proud bargain guy. I'm still a thrift shop guy. There's yeah. no, nothing wrong with getting a bargain. But that's why I turned over to digital. Now, I converted my entire library to digital so that I don't have to reinvest every, you know, two years when something new comes in. My boy's wicked smart. He's wicked smart. (laughs) All right. Well, Doug, we have news for you. And uh, you you might want to be sitting down for this. But (laughs) Well, good thing that I am. I know you've seen have you you've seen the movie American Beauty, right? Of course, it's a beautiful bag. This Maybe. is the actual bag from American Beauty. Oh my god. Boy, and this is big. We've uh, filled it with questions because we know you, but America doesn't know you. So normally we would have our guest reach their hand in, pick out a question and read it. But Alex is going to be your proxy hand. He will be. Right. He will be, be your, your body. That's so, maybe an equally hairy arm to mine. So <laughs> that's a good choice. He's gonna pick out a question. All right, Dougie. Here it is. What was the last time you cried during a movie? I think, and this is going back, which is says something about the state of today's uh, film industry. <laughs> I think it's. I think it's Big Fish. Ooh. Ooh, yeah. Big Fish, which, by the way, if you talk to guys about movies that make them cry, Big Fish across the board is a, is a big pick. Yeah, yeah. it's the father-son thing. It is, and it gets you at the end. It gets you at the uh, end. So I would say, I, what else would go in that category? But you're right. It's, and it's so people forget it's a Tim Burton movie, like let alone just a good yeah, tearjerker. Generally a very weird movie throughout, but yeah. somehow it all comes together. And yeah, it's it's pretty sentimental at the end. I don't think there's anything. Of course, I well up on like pretty regularly at movies, but never like stream. Right. And I believe that's what you're getting after. I mean, you're a big, big baseball guy, but Field of Dreams versus Big Fish. What's got the the crown for father son? I got to say Field of Dreams. That's that's just the classic. I mean, anybody who's a baseball fan. You know, having a catch with your dad is still like that. You could say that to other people. They would under than fishing with your dad. Fishing with your dad, or like, uh, <laughs> well, that's probably the two classic. I mean, if you have a hierarchy yeah. of like activities, yeah, that's probably it. Well, wait, what, the activity the in Big Fish was an old father lying to his son his whole life. <laughs> yeah, if you get to the, like, I'm telling you, Big Fish is not a, a normal film, so it's it's very kind of tweaked out. But you know, it, somehow they bring it all together. Last night, Alex and I were talking about ranking Eddie Vedder's best songs about surfing. <laughs> He's got a lot of them. <laughs> he has quite That's a few. He, he they have a song in Big Fish. Yeah. Is it about surfing? No, it's about... Is it um, about the ocean or fish or something? <laughs> there's a song where he said the opening line is Tidal Waves. Tidal Waves, don't beg forgiveness. Well, sounds like surfing to me. Put it on the list. Tidal waves don't beg forgiveness. Crash the Um, Dougie, we'll do one more question. Maddie, you pick this one. All right, for this question, I'm gonna reach my hand in, and oh, there's like a there's a pen in here, but I'm just Ooh, gonna, I should be using I'm gonna take the question out. All right, 
Doug, your final question is, can you remember a time you left to go to the bathroom in the middle of a movie in a theater? And do you know what you missed? That's a fantastic question. Uh, yes. I saw The Hateful Eight uh, just a couple months mm, ago. Yeah. Before I saw The Hateful Eight, I had a number of beverages with my boss and... Uh, we each got up to go to the bathroom probably four times. It's a, it's a lengthy film. And by the way, disappointing, and I'm not sure if it's because I didn't have a mind for detail at that point. And really, if you're going to a Tarantino film, you have to appreciate dialogue, and yeah. I, it was lost on me. Uh, but also probably key moments were, were left as we were going to the bathroom to pee. And by the way, not at the same time like girls do. Right. So, so, so between the two of you four times, that was a hateful eight number of trips to the restroom. <laughs> well, played, well played. Yes. That's a great so, answer. That, that answer is better than anything in my wildest dreams that well, we could have gotten from that question. Um, yeah, Dougie, as we pull up your Netflix queue, and thank you for that, those candid answers. Um, <laughs> what, uh, can you get, let us, give us the state of, of streaming in your household. My wife and I are big fans of movies and we'll watch movies like on weeknights, but generally we'll go to like catalog films and we've, we've watched Wayne's world probably 37 times. <laughs> we'll go to stuff that's like mindless that we can be on our laptops or, you know, whatever, not have to pay attention to. I still am a, a avid collector of new movies as well, but I've do that generally through this thing called Plex, which is this digital, it's like an interface Love for digital Plex. movies. Love Plex. But generally movies that I want, I own. Um, so I use Netflix sort of as a gap filler where if it's weird documentaries I'm trying to get after, you know, I'll, I'll turn to Netflix. You know, this, the stuff that you browse through and you're like, oh, that's interesting. It got five stars. I'll take a look. Mm -hmm. It's sort of like today's channel surfing, basically, for me. That's Netflix. When I'm out of stuff that I have uh -huh. on file and I, you know, turn over to Netflix. So let's have a look. So we are logged in. You have graciously given us your Netflix password. Dougie, question number one is, how well do you know your own queue? What, what, what do you think? Do you have a good stock or a sense of what I'm looking at right now? So I have this system, like I said, at home where I own everything. The thing is that TV shows take up a lot of uh, hard drive space. So mm -hmm. generally, that's the first thing to go. So if I'm going to you know, save something on Netflix, it's generally a TV show, so it doesn't use my hard drive space at home. So I have a lot of TV shows. I know that. So as we've talked about before, all these TV shows are great for us to chat about. But what we need to find today is a movie that the three of us can watch together and then remove from this queue. And that's important because whatever's on here has probably been there for a little while. And I'd, I'd like to knock it off the queue. So I see a couple uh, 30 for 30 documentaries. Mm -hmm. um, the, the very excellent ESPN branded documentary series. Have you seen all these? One of them is the, the Red Sox 2004 called uh, World Series, one called Four Days in October. I'm sure you've seen that. I have not, which is why it sits on mm -hmm. my queue. Uh, however, I do remember the events. Sure. Uh, we that, all lived uh, through it together. I have a confession that. to make. Uh, I don't know anybody who's a bigger 30 for 30 proponent than Alex. Mm. Right from the beginning, he was talking about how great they were in recommending them. And on many occasions, I have given Alex the false impression that I've seen some of them and that they're great. I've never seen a 30 for 30. No. <laughs> That's a huge confession. Jeez. 
Because, but oh. I mean, I never had cable, so I never had ESPN. Well, you know what? No one's done, and this is what I tried to do when they first came out. You guys remember this? Is I tried to make a definitive ranking list. You did on and our own blog. No one's to my t- to my knowledge, no one's still done that, and there's so many now that people really need that. Yeah. Um. So maybe we can do a little side project spinoff. Dougie, Sounds you good. can start a project where you watch all of them and rate all of them. C- can I say something about our now defunct blog, The Honest Male Perspective? Yes. I think we were well ahead of the clickbait revolution that is now BuzzFeed. Yeah. In that we recognize the value of a good list. And I don't think that mm-hmm. was the norm at the time. No. I, I think we left millions and millions of dollars on the table. <laughs> Well, we've still got this idea that's floating out there. Someone should rank all the 30 for 30s and meticulously go through. When we expand the Q-universe, how do you like that, Dougie? The clearing the the Q-universe. That was good. I like that. When we expand the Q-universe, we'll have a 30 for 30 person. It'll be a spinoff podcast. I like it. Dig it. Um, Dougie, you have an insane clown posse's TV show? (laughs) it's, It's got the... What is it? It's called Unplanned America, and it's got two juggalos. I think it's Violent J... And whatever the other guy's name is. Uh, I have no idea. I was probably drunk. <laughs> oh, you know what? The thumbnail is the is the insane clown posse, but the, the title, it's a TV show, two seasons. Three adventure-seeking Australians throw out their guidebooks and hunt out America's secretive and rarely seen subcultures. So maybe they infiltrate the Juggalos, and this was just yes. one of their episodes. See, I like, I'm a big fan of documentary-style stuff. Like, that's what I generally watch on Netflix. And usually after Jen falls asleep, I'll sort of give her like two taps to see if she has any life left in her. And then I'll secretly turn on the stuff that I really want to watch, which is like, I just want to learn when I'm watching Netflix. Yeah, that's amazing because I could not be more opposite. I want to watch comedies and laugh and I want my brain off. And as soon as I start watching like a documentary, I usually love it and I enjoy learning. But in the decision-making process, I'm like, I want, I want the path of least resistance. That's, that's Jen and my wheelhouse, is mindless comedy. Yep. And I feel we've tapped that resource to a level where we have nothing left in well, mindless comedy. No, like, you, you where... have one left. I'm, I'm looking at it right here. <laughs> this, is, this is very questionable in, in Doug, Dougie taste. The Starving Games, which is a satiric... It's a, that parody movie on the Hunger Games. <laughs> yep. But they call it the Starving Games. <laughs> And here's here's the deal. My wife and I enjoy nothing more than a shared experience over a great spoof movie. <laughs> we can watch The Naked Gun, Airplane, any of those movies and laugh like you've never heard before. And we will try any of them in this day and age to get to that level. The sad truth though and reality is they have there's no good ones left. They don't make good spoof movies anymore. And generally well, the we'll get- Waynes brothers just won't give up. They still try. <laughs> the Waynes brothers have not. I mean, they made. So don't be a menace is a great. Don't be a menace to South Central was well drinking all, your juice in the hood was an, is an all timer for me. The Waynes brothers are as good as it gets now, but it, the spoof movie died w- with Leslie Nielsen, and I think that's mm. just the sad reality of it. So uh, we'll, we'll write Starving Games down. We'll see what else we've got in here. Um, I'm going to be honest, I don't want to watch Starving Games. <laughs> and it's going to be on my queue probably for a long You've long got time. a movie yeah. called Call Me Lucky. It's unrated. I've never heard of it. I've never seen the thumbnail. Um, it is a f- This film chronicles the varied career of bombastic comic and social critic Barry Crimmins and the painful past that inspired his peaceful activism. So it's a documentary. What have you heard, Do you even remember adding this? My guess, uh, I was on a 
star kick for a while on Netflix where I would go solely off of uh, the number of stars things oh, were receiving. interesting. And sort of testing their algorithm for, and I believe their star system is dynamic. So it pairs your tastes with right. what they feel like. Um, so I tested that for a little while, and my guess is this is one of those, which was uh, like a four or five star This movie. one is right up in your wheelhouse. It's called Don't Stop Believing: Every Man's Journey, and it's a documentary about <laughs> the new lead singer of Journey. <laughs> <laughs> I am baffled by the fact that Journey is still touring, and they have a guy who sounds exactly like Steve Perry, and he's Asian. Which is the most interesting part of it all? This documentary, just yeah, his, the dude's name—it's the musical saga of Arne, Arnel Pineda, who goes from singing in Manila nightclubs to fronting the legendary rock band Journey. <laughs> <laughs> There's something to that. You love karaoke. And I'm actually surprised that you haven't seen this. I'm going to be honest. I've started it and fallen asleep. There we go. There it is. Yeah. That's it. Speaking of karaoke, though, I actually have thought of this in the past. This is a question directed at Maddie. Uh-huh. As a professional musician, and yeah. my love for karaoke is such that I feel like a rock star on stage, right. and it gives me a boost of energy. As a musician, is karaoke lost on you to the point where it's like, okay, another day at the office? It's rough. It's hard. Okay. It's hard. <laughs> okay. okay. Um, I need to be pretty drunk to enjoy karaoke. Well, that's true across the board. I think that's true of everyone. Yeah, but you're going from neutral to enjoying it, and I'm going from this is torture to enjoying it. I see. You know what I mean? And I can still get there. And we, the three of us have had some fun times doing karaoke for sure. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> okay. But uh, it's... Now, is it torture because you don't have confidence in your voice or because everyone oh. sounds like shit? Yeah, no, it's because everyone sounds like shit. Okay. Well, it's two things. First, it's like listening. I'm actually fine with people being tone deaf. For some some reason, that doesn't bother me. But it's the people who lose the rhythm of where the words are supposed to go and mm. can't like hear the beat and never that, catch like, up and never catch up. It like at my core, like it hurts my spine, like to to hear somebody yeah. being like a quarter note off from where the track is. Recently, and that makes experience sense. that most recent experience for that was uh someone tried to do crisscross jump and they rap Ooh. way too fast. Yeah, and then you're just done. Uh, and then on the other side of it, it's like, yeah, I feel like because I do this professionally, I should be really good at it. And mm-hmm. so I like won't go up there unless I feel like I'm going to nail it. And and the high, just the high of like the adrenaline rush of performing in front of a crowd. I'm sure that's something that is just kind of normal to you at this point. Right. Although it, it, it's taking you out of your comfort zone, obviously, yep. to a point. But you, you're used to that. Yeah. But I sang karaoke at a place in Orlando called uh, Catch a Rising Star. Live band behind uh-huh. me pyrotechnics like steam <laughs> shooting up from behind me holy shit the crowd chanting my name and it was one of the greatest experiences of my life so i am so sad that we were not there to see that yeah there's video somewhere i might i could send there's nothing there. i would rather experience than being in the audience when you were up on stage and that fireworks behind you and a bunch of people yeah it was pretty uh, it was transcendent dougie you got a few other a lot of other documentaries but your last scripted Movie on here is 2014's The Interview with uh, Seth Rogen and James Franco. I have seen this film 47 times. (laughs) (laughs) This film is the most underrated comedy of our generation. Wow. Have you seen it? No. I have seen it. 
Maddie does not agree. No, I really liked it. I mean, I laughed a lot. This, I, yeah. I don't know if I would see it 47 times. It's it's one of the yeah. most rewatchable movies. And when I talk about Mindless Wayne's World, you know, the stuff that you watch over and over, this is a movie that has subtleties in every word and you can appreciate more and more mm. every single time you watch. So it sits in my queue and it will sit in my queue for all time because it's it's – very, very underrated. It's a tragedy that it was never released. So how come this movie is not in your Plus, or what's the thing called that you guys... Plex? Plex. How come this uh, movie has not made it to Plex? It actually is in Plex, <laughs> but it sits also at Netflix in the case that I find nothing that I want to watch, and it's easily accessible as my last option. It's your insurance policy. It is my insurance policy. Of the interesting documentaries you have, you've got the, uh, the Life Itself, which is the uh, Ebert Roger Ebert documentary. People don't know yes. about what happened with Roger Ebert is, first of all, he disappeared, but he disappeared because he had severe jaw cancer, lost the whole bottom half of his jaw, and had a whole second renaissance career where he continued to review movies, but like he couldn't speak. Part of it, his second life was trying to bring back his voice, and like um, there's a lot of interesting stuff. I'm sure this documentary covers it, but that they really, right up till, the de- till his death, that they were trying to recreate that computerized voice that like Stephen Hawking's has made famous. Mm-hmm. They were trying to make a recreated version of his culling all of his vocal work on all the commentaries he did. So he was getting like an up, like the state of the art voice. Oh, based on his voice. Yeah. So he could yeah. type and it would be his voice. And, uh, I don't remember how far they got with that. And obviously he's passed in like the last couple of years, but, uh, he was always, some, I, and that was like an article I'd read that really hmm. interested me. Me too, and I've read a lot about Ebert, and secretly I'm hoping this is the film that you guys choose because it has oh. sat there for a long time, and it's one that I will never convince my wife to watch <laughs> unless it's an assignment for a podcast that I'm on on a Sunday afternoon. Uh-huh. So, uh, well, right now we've got three candidates. We've got Life Itself, we have uh, Don't, Don't Stop, Stop Believing, Believing, and we've got The Starving Games. <laughs> <laughs> so it's a we've got a nice range of uh two documentaries and a spoof movie this is where we have to make the tough decision um scripted or unscripted well if we choose scripted we're watching starving games <laughs> oh, right <laughs> unscripted please <laughs> it seems so the, the question we like to ask is what is the movie that you are least likely to watch on your own without our help the answer, as I've already secretly revealed, is life itself. I can never convince my wife to watch a film about Robert Roger Ebert <laughs> ever in a million years. Well, Doug, I've got good news for you. We're going to watch Life Itself. Woo! And then uh, the audience is going to hear the trailer for that movie. Okay. And then we're going to come back and do a little recap about what we saw. You're going to give it a star rating, and then you're going no, to... No, we should, to- should give it thumbs up. One or two thumbs up. <laughs> <laughs> you're going to give it one... Tip of the cap. To old Raj. Well done. I like it. And uh, yeah, then you're going to get to remove it from the list. This is life itself. Let's move on to a movie now that's one of the most brilliant, weird, and unusual American documentary films I've seen in a long time. Roger Ebert was the definitive mainstream film critic in American cinema. He has been writing for half of the history of feature films. Roger was a mature writer early on. He's written over a dozen books. He wrote a novel. He won a Pulitzer Prize. How on earth did Roger Ebert write Beyond the Valley of the Dolls? Boobs. Beyond the Valley. You know, this is a title. 
Roger was a good addition, but he also could take it. He is a nice guy, but he's not that nice. It's Thriller Week on Cisco and Ebert in the movies, and we've got three new ones. Sound a little excited, Gene. Sound less excited, Roger. Roger Ebert and Gene Siskel were the most powerful critics of all time. The perfect matching of opposites. Even though Roger wrote Beyond the Valley of the Dolls, Gene lived the life. These were towering figures, clashing. It was, I'm going to crush you. You give Benji the Hunter a positive review. That's totally unfair because you realize they almost didn't care what anyone else thought as long as they could try to persuade the other. This morning I confess that I am a sick person. Three years ago, I felt a lump under my chin, and it turned out to be cancer. Roger had an inner core made of steel. Do you want to rest a little bit or work a little bit? Ask Steve. He's the director. He's a soldier of cinema who cannot even speak anymore, and he plows on. And that touches my heart very deeply. As a film critic, he was somebody who gave life to new voices, gave life to new visions that reflected all the diversity of this nation. He made it possible for a bigger audience, a wider audience, to appreciate cinema as an art form because he really loved films. For me, the movies are like a machine that generates empathy. It lets you understand hopes, aspirations, dreams, and fears. It helps us to identify with the people who are sharing this journey with us. We're going to start by just doing a brief recap of the movie real quick, and then we'll ask you some questions. Uh, so this was a documentary about Roger Ebert. The famous movie critic of Siskel and Ebert. And he was born in Chicago in 1942. He was originally a journalist, yes. which was interesting, and then sort of transitioned to start doing movie reviews. And this sort of detailed the two major parts of his life. He was making a movie, the filmmaker was making a movie about Roger Ebert's life while Ebert was very sick at the end of his life. So you've got two things happening. You've got the real-time stuff, which is him in the hospital, and then you have slowly telling his whole life story. I don't know how shocking it was to you, but he, he had the lower... His whole jaw was removed, so yeah. they're showing him on screen without his jaw, and like yeah. it's very real. They're not trying to it's unvarnish intense. anything. Yeah. Just to give some sort of plot points in his life, he quit drinking in 1979. Yeah. He had this really sort of tumultuous relationship with Siskel, which I'm sure we'll talk about, but, you know, eventually they became friends and Siskel got brain cancer, kept it a complete secret, was dead a year later, and it seemed like that really had a big impact on Ebert deciding to just be really forthcoming. Yeah, about oh, totally. And he had a great uh, wife named Chaz. Most people probably know none of this. I didn't know any of this. And then just to, you know, at the end he dies and that's the end of the movie. So it's pretty fucking sad. Um, but Dougie boy, Dougie boy. Yeah. I had a first question for Doug. Okay. Which is just, would you like to update your answer to when was the last time you cried during a movie? <laughs> uh, I told you before that I had welled yeah. uh, with some regularity. Uh, this was a, this fell in the well camp. Yeah, me too. Uh, I didn't get to full tears, but uh, damn, did it try hard. That was uh <laughs> It was a sobering experience more than I expected, but yeah. it was. I really enjoyed the movie. How much? How much, Dougie? Did you know about just him? Because I, I, I mean, I think why this is also like a kind of a a really good documentary in general, and a good topic of a documentary is because 
most people see him as a one-dimensional caricature of a celebrity movie critic. He was one of the last great traditional media characters where, you know, he took his time, he collected his thoughts, he wrote something and he took it seriously and he won a Pulitzer Prize, which we learned uh, in the movie. And I think today it's all about instant, you know, feedback and meta analysis. So it's like Rotten Tomatoes. You know what I mean? Which, by the way, this got a 97% on Rotten Tomatoes. Oh, wow. oh. Um, but I think, <laughs> I think the art that Roger Ebert represented is sort of getting lost on us. Yeah. And, you know, the actual like literary aspect of reviewing is gone. And now it's just like, okay, what did most people say? Right. And like, do I want to see it based on how many tomatoes? Something yeah. Has? Well, and what's interesting is, yeah, he was like so nuanced in his criticism and yet the thumbs up system is the ultimate binary system. Yeah. It's he, like, that's it. Like, my favorite part of this was the Benji the Hunted review, which <laughs> is Benji's the little like dog that like runs in the woods. And it's a movie just about this little dog. Yeah. And uh, Siskel, he, he hates it. But Ebert's like, look, this it's a sliding scale here. We can't just compare this to... He says it's all relative. It's all relative. It's context. And, and he also just tears apart Siskel. He like takes apart his arguments yeah. and like tells him how disappointed he, he tells is. tells him he should be ashamed. <laughs> my, I laugh, it was my biggest laugh was the look of Siskel. He's like, uh... <laughs> you're right. Because I think that's one of the best plot points in this movie is the hatred between... Hatred slash respect oh my God. between Siskel and Ebert. Yeah. And they, there's one particular scene where they just showed this running reel of Siskel trying to deliver a line and Ebert just yeah, the outtakes. shitting all over his life for like 12 <laughs> takes. And it, it makes you appreciate the dynamic those two guys had because one was from the Sun-Times, one was from the Tribune, which are the two big papers. Just the fact that those two would be in a room together is pretty incredible. But also the fact that like the culmination of their life's work was sort of in collaboration. And I think by the end of it, you know, they sort of appreciated what each other brought to the table, but it was a pretty uh, contentious relationship throughout, which was interesting to me. Yeah, way more than I had ever realized. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> they just, they like legitimately seemed hated like they hated each other. Yeah. Yeah. But needed each other at the same time. And that's, they always stuck to each other because they knew like they wouldn't have the media spotlight that they had without each other. So right. it was this interesting dynamic. They were, and but, they were definitely kind of like an odd couple. And I started to make a list during the movie of other famous odd couples. Nice. I got as far as media odd couples or just like, <laughs> no, just in general. <laughs> I wrote Jay and Silent Bob and then uh, Tim Robbins and Martin Lawrence from Blue Streak. <laughs> no, nothing to lose. <laughs> From nothing to lose. From nothing to lose. <laughs> and then I, that's as far as you got. <laughs> yeah. Will you that's just name deal. all Martin Lawrence partner movies? <laughs> no, and my next note, it was Steely Dan. So that must have been right before the Steely Dan song came on in the movie. I, I would, couldn't tell you what a Steely Dan song sounds like. You were singing along to it. Which one? Are you reeling in the years? Are you reeling in the years? Stowing away. I thought that was the Almond Brothers. What do they sing? They sing a similar song. They sing, um. <laughs> That's okay. I rest my case. Um, yeah, it's about the same. This was also directed by Steve James, who I'd never heard, but he had his most famous documentary was Hoop Dreams. Yeah. That's a. 
It's a couple of nice resume builders there. Did you see, yeah. I haven't I never saw Hoop Dreams. As a sports fan, I feel that's a problem. Hoop Dreams Hoop Dreams is strong, though dated. If you watch Hoop Dreams now, it doesn't exactly apply, but you would appreciate it as a sports I mean, fan. It was super real, right? Oh, it's gritty. And over time. It's gritty like whoa. Were there any recommendations, like through the course of this movie, like you're seeing these little flashes of movies that they're sort of like reviewing, like all of a sudden, like Look Who's Talking 2 is on there and it's yeah. got a big two, two thumbs, thumbs up. up. <laughs> also, oh, no, it was just regular Speed Look two. Who's Talking. Got two thumbs up. Speed 2? Yeah, you didn't see that? You're seeing Speed as well or Speed 2 Cruise Control? No, Speed, the sequel, got two thumbs up. <laughs> all, all right, right we call, I call that so Speed 2 Cruise Control, just so that there's no... Oh, it's <laughs> a gray area. <laughs> <laughs> Cruise Control really would have kind of solved the whole problem of the first movie. <laughs> yes, that's true. <laughs> You're absolutely right. Do, I don't even do so, buses have them. I think we're <laughs> they must not. That would be too dangerous. Um, so I think where where I think you were going with that was were there any movies that came up that you thought oh I should see that because I wrote down Bonnie and Clyde. I've never even thought about seeing that. This movie, was but um, it looks great. what's his name uh, Warren Beatty. And some other chain. It was Warren Beatty who was in it. Which 70s. one was Dick Tracy? Warren Beatty. Who's Ned Beatty? Maybe his dad. Doug? <laughs> that sounds like a strong possibility. Okay, Doug. Yeah. Were there any who, movies that? You know, uh, you... Yeah, mine would be the um, sexploitation film that Roger oh, yeah. himself penned. <laughs> uh, I don't remember the name of it. Beyond the Valley of the Dolls is the one. Beyond the wrote. Valley of the Dolls. Oh but yeah. Those one of the fun. interesting themes of the film was he was this like. Epic Breastman. Like Hornball to start his life. He was a Breastman. He was a Breastman. And in fact, one of his critics said he had the worst taste in women I've ever known. <laughs> which is which I found to be interesting. Any yeah. documentary about a person should have the flaws. That's what yeah. makes people interesting. Without question. But I think he pulled a winner in our girl Chaz there. Uh, totally. Yeah. yeah. Great he found, love story. He found the love of his life. And you could tell, even though his face obviously couldn't create expression you could tell in the later years of his life he was much happier than the roger ebert that i remember which was this totally. fucking angry old man who hated all films and i think he was truly at peace in the end which is all we can all hope for so that was a that was a nice little uh golden nugget in a otherwise pretty sad ending <laughs> to the film did you notice what his vanity license plate said no, what was it? Alex, did you notice? It has movies. Yeah. He had a Vanity, vanity license plate. Yeah, Illinois license plate, and it was just movies. Respect. I mean, if anyone's going to have it, especially That's in that. Illinois, he's probably the guy. Why wouldn't it have been That's like two thumbs? Cisco, by the way, was pissed about that. <laughs> there was a fight at the DMV. He had movies with a Z at the end. <laughs> he had to get movies. <laughs> I, I I keep coming away with the fact that like uh, that he really they Siskel and Ebert really invented like in the way that like celebrity chefs are sort of a relatively new thing. They were like celebrity critics, and there was backlash that went against that. Yeah, um, they weren't really ahead of the game. Like you know how USA Today always got shit for being this like super like short condensed articles. The articles couldn't ever have real depth in USA Today. I did not know that, but I believe you. No, yeah, like the either they're the hotel, they were like the one stop. Like, I do remember getting them because articles never, articles never like went beyond like one page. You never had to like, oh, okay. go, but it was ahead of its time in that like if people are going to read print, they just want little brief synapses, right? Because they're just going to run out of time to do stuff. But like so, like the first take, hot take culture that they created is like totally 
what sports media is all about and right. political punditry right. is all about. Yeah. Like, he'll just distill things to black and white. And they were doing that on PBS yeah. in the eighties, yeah. early eighties. That's true. And I think, I think Ebert, despite being an old man was way ahead of his time. Like he accepted blog culture, like before anybody was, and he was active on social media. Yep. Like he wasn't this old curmudgeon who was like, this is my art, you know, and right. like didn't move with the times. Like he was, into it he like pa- till the end which he, is something he passed away in november 2013 which we probably should have said earlier this film was started in april 2013 so the one thing that they never touched touched on which is one of the most interesting things how i sort of started following ebert so will leach of like gawker and deadspin mm-hmm. wrote a piece about how he was personally influenced by ebert and that linked to this esquire article and this was in 2010 about roger ebert's like crazy just like what he's been going through and how he has no jaw you haven't thought or seen of him in 10 years if you're of this age but the one thing that wasn't that was part of that was how they were reconstructing his voice for this computer system that he has to rely on to communicate and they didn't touch on any of that and i remember being really drawn in that they were reconstructing mm-hmm. his voice so i was disappointed that, that wasn't in there but people should go to this read, read esquire uh, the esquire roger ebert article from 2010 you google that you'll find it and it'll it'll hold up but then don't expect to see any of that in the movie right right <laughs> right, right. supplement supplementary materials yeah so there was one notable absence from this movie that i had Alex's absence was this the speech device thing. Yeah. Mine was, where in the world was Roper? Because when Siskel died, wasn't it Ebert and Roper? It went to Ebert sure and was. Roper fairly quickly. He does not make an, a single appearance in this film. Good point. I don't know who he is, but I assume yeah. he's a film. I assume he I mean, was the, uh, predis- or the successor to What's-His-Face at the Tribune. Right. And I assume there was no emotional connection between him and Ebert other than that. Who's the most famous movie critic right now? There is none, right? That was the answer. going to be one of my questions is, I don't think there is one. It's the people. It's literally Rotten Tomatoes. Rotten Tomatoes to me is literally, that's what Siskel and Ebert. Right. That's the evolution is it doesn't matter who any single critic is. Right. You just go into this formula, which tells us if we're going to like a movie or not. And so this gets into an interesting question of like how how we decide what movies to watch. There was a time when like looking at their review of a movie would be a big determining factor on whether to watch something. Look who's talking. You got a big <laughs> it gets Name two thumbs up. You're like, all right, it's got to be good. Namely Speed 2 and Look Who's Talking. <laughs> so uh, in this day and age, we've got to go to other sources. I know Alex believes in Rotten Tomatoes. I, very strong case. I don't so much, Doug. How do you decide what movie to watch? At this point in my life, it's generally does the plot appeal to me (laughs) Mm. because every movie is so accessible now and you can watch it in the comfort of your home and with great surround sound and HD, you know, there's, it's very low risk to invest your time into a movie. And if you don't like it, give up after 10 minutes. Yeah. So at this point, it's as simple as, does that appeal to me? Does the description look cool? Does the trailer look cool? I'm going to watch it otherwise. I like it. So... It's time to get down to brass tacks. Yep. It's time to give this a thumbs up rating. Mm. And uh, I think it's just a scale of either thumbs up or none. Or do you get to use both your hands? It's It's all of our thumbs together. It's all of them together. So it's going to be on a scale of one to three thumbs up. Yes. So let's just do it. And then we'll we'll have to tell the audience what happened. Okay. One, two, two, three. Three. Three thumbs up. Three thumbs up. Static thumbs up. Yeah. 
Life itself. What a tribute. And yeah. that's it. Well, Doug, we've got good news for you. Yeah, Doug. Mm. Congratulations. You just got one step closer to clearing the queue. <laughs> that was clearing the queue. If you have heard anything you like or know that we were just dead wrong about, you can email us at uh, clearingthequeue at gmail.com. Q is spelled Q U E U E. That's a tough one. And if your thoughts are funny, we'll read it on air. Follow us on Twitter at CTQ Podcast, Instagram at Clearing the Queue. Facebook.com slash clearing the queue. Subscribe on iTunes. Yeah, subscribe on iTunes. <laughs> I don't know how you do that. <laughs>